We started a couple of weeks ago um, with the book of Romans, and Mike did an overview, and then we had, sort of had an interlude there one, one Sunday, and then I started last week on uh, the first four verses of, of chapter one. And of course, you know, Romans is, um, as Mike pointed out in his um, kind of overview message, it's an incredible book. It's, um, and, and it's, been, it's been looked at many different ways, but it's, if you think about it, it's the foundational truths of the Christian life. And what's also amazing is that these first seven verses kind of are, are a, uh, a peek into what the rest of the book's going to be about. It's going to be about these wonderful truths of who the Lord Jesus is, and then along with that, who the believer in the Lord Jesus is in his Christian life. So it's, it's fundamental stuff. It's, it's Christianity 101. It's, it's the fundamentals of our faith. So with that said, it's, you know, so it's not, uh, look at this as an opportunity to understand again what the Lord has for us in our Christian life. Okay, so I've borrowed a title from our brother Hal, The Blessings of Who We Are in Christ. So today we're going to focus on the believer, right? Who we are in the Lord Jesus Christ. But first I want to do a little review. But let me give you, and I've, I borrowed heavily from our brother Hal. <clears throat> he gave a message back in 2006, shortly before he became ill. And uh, this was in actually a Sunday, school, a Sunday school lesson. And actually Bob Beckel was there, and so was Margaret. So they, they, I'm sure they remember all this. <clears throat> okay, so... Here's, I like this. This is the first 17 verses outlined. Uh, Paul starts off, it's, it's, and how, how has it kind of in the idea of blessings? The blessings that Paul received, we'll review those again. The blessings of the gospel. The blessings of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then the, the part for today in blue there, the blessings that we have as a believer. And the subsequent weeks will go on with the other topics here. So let's, uh, Let's look at, I, I, I created an outline last week, and let's just kind of use that outline, just the first four verses. So it starts off, Paul, the first blessing that Paul received, he was a doulos, or a bondservant of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we talked about that idea of doulos, and it kind of has two parts, as I kind of have come to understand. Think about this, we were, we were doulosses to sin, to the sin nature in our before we became a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, we were enslaved to that sin nature. But now, we have been separated from that sin nature and we're slaves. Well, actually, we're willing slaves because we, by, by faith, we accepted the Lord Jesus and we became doulosses or bondservants to Jesus Christ. That's the first point. Second point, and Paul himself was called or, or, uh, set, or set apart. We'll see that shortly. He, he was a sent one. He was a sent one for Jesus Christ. And then he's also set apart or separated to particular ministry. And this ministry is a wonderful message of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So those are three attributes of, that Paul... So Paul starts right off, and I mentioned last week that if you look at other, <clears throat> other books of the New Testament that Paul wrote... He doesn't have quite as long an introduction about himself. This is a lengthy introduction. And in the introduction, he, he tells us all these wonderful things he's going to expand on later on in, in, the, in his writing in, in Romans. So now, he kind of changes gears a bit. He says, 
he introduces himself, these three points, and he says, which, referring back to the gospel of God, now he's going to tell us about the gospel of God. He, the gospel of God he promised beforehand through the prophets. And, you know, you look at the Old Testament, is full of prophets, particularly Isaiah. And he, it was in the Holy Scriptures. Point two was in the Holy Scriptures. And Isaiah says in Isaiah um, uh, 53, he says, Who has believed our message? And we, and we connect that back with the writings of Paul later on in chapter 10, verse 16. And we see that the writings he's talking about, our message, is this wonderful gospel message. You know, what I've kind of understood as I've gone through this, the gospel is the central, and we're going to see it, it's the central, the essential gospel, I'll call it, or the core gospel, which Paul delineates in uh, chapter 15, which we're going to review shortly, is the core, is the diamond, if you will. And around that diamond are all these things that the rest of Scripture talks about. And Isaiah talks about the suffering servant, right? Just beautiful, how he suffered for us, how he died for us, and how we... We didn't deserve it. So around that core gospel, we see all these other uh, descriptions that really amplify that. So the third point here, it was concerning or surrounding, and this I, I kind of got a little bit ahead of myself, surrounding our Savior, the Lord Jesus. So those three points. Then he, he digresses even another step. He says, okay, I talked about the gospel, those three points, through, in, and concerning. Now I'm going to focus on the Savior, the Lord Jesus. His Son, who was born, or better, became flesh. He came into a new state of being, something he never was before. But that he was a descendant of David according to the flesh. Then he goes on, he was declared, or he was marked out. That's the idea, like, oh, I have a perimeter, he was uh, declared, I'm sorry, it's not, is marked out <clears throat> to be the Son of God with power by the resurrection of the dead. Okay, according to the spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord, and it's really speaking there, if you look at that carefully, it's not speaking so much about the Holy Spirit, it's speaking more about the spirit of Christ in that passage. So that completes the first four verses. So now, I thought it would be appropriate just to say, well, what is, I talked about it, what is the core gospel? And Mike talked about it yesterday, but it never hurt, it never um um, <laughs> I'm to repeat it again. That's what I'm trying to say. Okay, but interestingly enough, Paul introduces the core gospels, which are basically First Corinthians 15, three, four, and five. Uh, three, yeah, three, three and four. He introduces it and he tells why it's so important. He says, "Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which you also received, in which you also stand." And we're going to, that word stand is going to be important. You know, we're, we talk about this uh, a lot here at Holly Hills. We have a standing or a position before God. Well, here's a verse that talks about that. We stand in the gospel. And we're going to see more about it. We stand in that truth by which we are saved. And that's what, it, that's what is, uh, our salvation is based upon. So here's the core gospel. For I delivered to you of first importance what I also received. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And that he was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. So in, in summary form, Christ died for our sins on our behalf. He was our substitute. Christ was buried and is, uh, that validated. You only bury a dead man. And then the third point then, he was raised. 
God raised him up again. And it says, since it was impossible for him to be held by his power. And it was even in the fourth point even, and he was seen by men. So that's the, that's the core gospel. And like I mentioned, that's the, that's the, the diamond, if you will, at the, at the center of all that we, all, all about the, uh, the center of the gospel. Okay. <clears throat> so today's verses. So I'm just going to put them up, up here quickly. Jim read them already. I'm just pointing out that it's, it starts off, and this is going to kind of change the focus from our Savior to what we are or who we are in the Savior. So it says, through whom, the Son of God, we, notice there's a lot of we's there, we have received, later on it says, among you also are called, a lot of personal pronouns here, all who are beloved of God in Rome. So we're going to see uh, things about our Savior, uh, or things about our Savior, and things about ourselves, who we are in Him. Okay, so let's go on here. So then I... I outlined that again. <laughs> or actually, I didn't outline it. Hal outlined it. So the blessings of who we are in Christ. First point. We receive grace and apostleship. So it's an interesting verse we're going to see real shortly here. It talks about we have received grace and apostleship. Well, obviously, Paul's the only one that received apostleship. But, it, but he, he, he says that in the same context. So we need to understand that better when we will. We are called or elect ones. Every believer is a called or elect one. We are beloved. Every believer is it's the beloved of God. Every believer are called as saints. Now they're not just special ones out there. You know the world would have you believe they're a special. They're a special saints. Well, every Christian is a saint, and that's not because we earned it. That's because that was a wonderful gift we received. And we have grace and peace continually supplied by God to us. So we're going to see, a, this should be a very encouraging message. This is going to show us our wonderful place, our wonderful position, if you will, in our Savior. Okay, let's start off with verse 5. Through whom we have received grace. Through whom, or based upon what, you know, focuses back, it's, it take, it's a, taking the place of what was said before. The Son of God, through whom the Son of God, God the Father is the source. Jesus Christ is the instrument. We have received, so that's the aorist tense. It's, it's an event. It happened in the time past. We can count upon it. We have received. We've received this grace. Grace is charis, unmerited favor. God's unmerited favor. So here's a list of things that are based upon that. <clears throat> a gift bestowed upon all believers. We see that in Ephesians 2.8. We have perpetual access into grace by faith. We stand entrenched in God's grace. That's our eternal position. So, so those are one, and we're going to see this kind of over and over again. We're going to see a truth proclaimed by Paul. We have received grace, and then we can, we can expand that by looking at other verses that validate that or give us more information. Okay, so I thought it would be appropriate... And this is, this is, I have two or three, not two or three, maybe two or three hundred, uh, favorite charts by Hal. And this is one of my, yeah, one of my two or three, one, one of the ones of the two or three hundred I like. <laughs> That's an exaggeration a bit, but anyway, I have a lot I like. Okay. So position, you guys all know this. Position. In scripture is talked about, we, we saw it in, in a verse there earlier. It's in the grace in which we stand. 
We stand in this position. This, this position is who we are in Christ. It's our resume. Uh, it defines who a Christian is. It's an eternal thing. Uh, it's eternal, unchangeable. We can't change it. We can't, we can't lose it. It's ours eternally, based upon the work of Christ on the cross and our faith in that. But then there's our day-to-day walk, what's called our condition. This is how we act in our Christian life. And you know, we don't always act like who we are, right? Remember you tell your children, act like who you are, right? Act like you're a, you're a uh, McBride. I'm sure your mom may have said that, your dad may have. You act like who you are. You know, and we don't always act that way. But the, the, that is the admonition of almost all of Scripture. Act like who you are. Alrighty. And this, and, you know, condition is a moment by moment walk with our Savior. Temporal, changeable. Okay. That's just review. But, okay. So let's go back to our verse. So it's interesting here. It says, through whom we have received, we have seen, we received grace and apostleship. So obviously we haven't received apostleship unless you're, if, unless you're a cult, <laughs> thinking that you have a, there's apostles in your body. Nobody has stood up and said they're an apostle in this body, thankfully. <laughs> anyway. So, so, so what, what is the and about? And I liked, I really liked this because I struggled with this verse for a while. I said, man, I know, do I divide it in half? Do I, do I, no, you don't divide it in half. Paul was, Paul had grace, right? He had, he, he was blessed with amazing grace, but he also had the grace of being an apostle. So it's sort of like, it has a force of, and in particular, we have received grace, and in particular, our brother Paul has received apostleship. So that's kind of the, the flavor here. And I think if you look at this, it kind of validates that. Paul kind of talks about his, himself here. <clears throat> he says, because of the grace that was given to me, that's grace, right? <laughs> From God to be a minister of Christ to the Gentiles, ministering as a priest the gospel of God, so that my offerings of the Gentiles may become acceptable. So he was, the, he was given this grace and an apostleship with a special point that it was to the Gentiles to the non-Jewish people. Apostleship is the idea of, of being sent on a mission by God. Um, and I found two things. I, you know, I haven't spent much time with Newell. Romans Newell is a great book. If you, if you want a, a book to look at, if you're, if, you're, if you're a reader, I'm not much of a reader, believe it or not. You know, I got through, I'm an engineer, and I read with a mission, right? I read to, to understand something, and I, re, I read the Bible with a mission. So I'm not, I'm not a casual reader. Newell's Romans is a book that is great. And I've only read bits and pieces. I kind of jumped in here. So I jumped into Newell's for this little section. Personal grace must come before true service. So what he's saying is you must basically know God. You must be a believer. You must know him and receive his grace. grace. The grace Paul had received concerning his personal salvation and his service are great examples of this divine favor. So I like this because it points out the dual aspect for Paul. He received grace for salvation, and he received grace for his service to the Lord. Okay, so let's go on. To bring about, and this is a neat phrase. This is, this is, really, this is a neat, really neat phrase. To bring about the obedience of faith. So bring about is this word ice in the, in the original language. It's the idea, in order that there may be, that something may happen, or unto, you could, you could translate it that way. Here's another translation from Wiest. Uh, it's a preposition, 
that ice is a preposition, often speaking of a purpose or result. Here it's used in the sense of the words in order to bring about. Okay, so what does that all mean? How does that affect all this? So it means to bring about, uh, it's in order that we may bring about the obedience of faith. And I would say most of you, if you think about obedience, you, maybe you think about your children, if you have children. Um, you think about, you know, you have rules for your house. The McBrides had rules, right? They had rules, and lots of rules probably. But, but is that the picture? Is that the picture in the New Testament? Where are we to obey a bunch of rules? Is that the picture that God presents in the New Testament? And it's not. So we have to look at this, and it says obedience of faith. How do obedience and faith connect? Well, let's start off first with the definition of obedience, or at the Greek word for obedience, which is the definition. It's, it's really cool. It's a listening under. It's from the word akuo. It's to listen under. It's to listen under God's word. We're to, obedience is to listen to his word. So how does, how does the faith and that, how does that work together? How does obedience and faith work, work together? So a couple of statements by Brother Hal, which I liked, and I'm, I'm going to add a couple more. <clears throat> Obedience proceeds out from faith, or it's a direct result of our faith. Genitive of the source, a little bit technical there, but chronologically, faith comes first, then obedience. So you could say, and I think this is good to remember, you could say, faith is the source of my, source of my obedience. If you think about that, as you walk with the Lord, and you come to know Him, and you come to trust Him. First of all, you trust Him for salvation, right? And then you trust Him for what He says about you, about what you, how you're to live your life. As you, as you trust Him, then what do you want to do? You want to listen under Him, right? You want to listen to what He says, and that's what Scripture talks about is obedience. So that's, that's the connection here. And actually, I have a picture, which another picture from Hal that I want to show you. That, that kind of maps out this obedience of faith. But, but faith is, is, is sourced in obedience, has its source in obedience. It's, it's faith first, then obedience, if you will. All right. And it's among all the Gentiles for his name's sake. So the first point, it's among the Gentiles, the ethnos, the nations. That's the first point. Second point is, it's on behalf, it's on behalf of or for his name's sake, for his glory. So it has a twofold process, this obedience of faith. God is glorified as we listen under his word. So here's Hal's picture from 2006. So I, I had to, so I had to re- redo it because he, he had it as an object. If you guys are familiar with PowerPoint, you got objects and you can't break them up. Anyway, that's another PowerPoint thing you don't want to know about. But anyway, so I redid it. So here we are as believers. This includes Paul. So believers have received God's grace, right? We just talked about that. And Paul's received his, God's grace and apostleship. So believers have received that. They, as they walk by faith, they, they, I put that heavy arrow there. It said they bring about, as they walk by faith, they bring about a listening under God's word. As we walk by faith and we listen under God's word, that that's what oh, listening under that's what obedience is about, and that produces two things according to this verse. It produces it produces uh, faith among the Gentiles or our understanding among the Gentiles and the nations, and it glorifies God. So two things happen as a result of our walking by faith, listening under God's word. Okay, so let's go on. Okay, so so now we go into verse six. Among whom. 
you are, and that's this word, Amy, the state in which something continuously exists. So we're going to see all these positive statements about the believer that can't be altered. You stand in this state. You are in this state. Present tense, continuous action. It's a positional truth, which applies to all believers. We're the called ones. So now we're going to get into the to a really interesting area, area that we always kind of rack our brains and say, how can this be? We're going to get into this dilemma. We are called, but we're to exercise faith. How does that work out? I'm not going to be able to totally explain it, but I'm going to take a crack at it here. Okay, so we're this verse is going to tell us we're called ones. <clears throat> and the word called is an invitation, a call, an appointment. God has called us. And we're going to see it's from eternity past. He called us from eternity past. It's an adjective that describes who we are in Christ. We're, 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 we're the called ones. And it's of Jesus Christ. We're called of Jesus Christ. He is the source of our being called. And so, so that kind of ends the introduction. But I didn't want to kind of leave it there hanging. I wanted to spend a little more time on, on called, called ones. So let's go. I have some more points from my brother Hal here. Key points of being called ones. The calling or appointment doesn't depend upon human acceptance. We don't beg God to be, God, please call me. We never, uh, unbeliever can't do that. That's never talked about in that domain. The call ones are, are called or elect. Uh, uh, that's who we are. It's, that's our resume. One of the, you know, we have this long resume of blessings we have in our Savior. You know, um, Chafer has these riches of God's grace. Well, that's one of those riches of God's grace. We're called ones. That's just who we are. That's our resume. That's who we are. Call one, uh, being a call one is never referred to for unbelievers. It's never, it's never says a believer, unbeliever is a, is a, a called one. He's not. He only becomes a called one until he trusts in the Lord Jesus. And that's where the, that's where the rub comes. You think, well, that doesn't make any sense. How can that be? Well, I'm not gonna, we'll, we'll, we'll keep going here. Okay. We are called before the foundation of the world, it says in Ephesians verse 3 and 4. Ephesians 1, 3 and 4. God's calling is the fulfilling of his eternal purpose in us. We see that later in, in Romans 9. So here, another Hal picture. Okay, here we go. I, I took, it was a, it was an object. It was an object. Again, I couldn't, and this one I couldn't break it down, I, and I didn't want to redraw it because I, I'd be up all night. And I was doing, on, I was doing stuff for your guys, uh, memorial service. Anyway, so here's part one of the object. So here we talk about, and this is highlighted upon the fact that we're called before the foundation of the world. And it points out that every believer, he was a saint, is called. And that's God by God's sovereign grace. It's something he purposed from eternity past. And that's our resume. And we can have confidence in that, that we are called. But that's not the whole, you know, that's not the whole picture. You say, well, how... What's the picture for the unbeliever? How does, how is this, what's the relationship of this to being an unbeliever? And here's the other part of it. The other part is that the message to the unbelieving world is, whosoever will may come. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. If that's the message to them. That's the message they're to believe. Once they believe, they move from the unbelieving camp, if you will, to the believing camp, and they can count that they were... They were called from eternity past. Now you're going to ask me, how, how can that be? How can I explain that? And the best way I've found is that I accept both as being true. 
how how that God and in God's mind, God works that out. He works how you know I'm a I'm an unbeliever. I respond to whosoever will may come, and then I become a believer and I see oh I'm I was called from the foundation uh, of the world. Okay, so that's my my uh, so talk you know. Send me an email. Talk to me. Talk, talk to Mike. In fact, Mike has used a similar chart. I know for he's used it several times. It's, it's how do you explain that? And I don't think we can explain it here in on this life. All right. So let's go on. And actually, I can maybe some more more time with this chart. It's you know how love to have all kinds of details. I'm not going to go much beyond that. Okay. So let's carry on. <clears throat> okay. So now he finally gets to the recipients. Right. He spent six verses talking about himself talking about the Lord Jesus, talking about the gospel, and talking a little bit about who we are. He's going to continue that theme into, into the two part of this, uh, the two part, and then to the, to the greeting. He says two. So Paul will, will now talk about the addressee and describe who they are in Christ. To all who are beloved of God in Rome, called saints. So I want to use the interlinear because it, it kind of brings out some aspects that you couldn't quite see in the New American Standard. So the interlinear, which is just a, a word-for-word translation from the Greek, it says, To all the, the ones, being in Rome, loved of God, called ones, saints. All right? So even though this letter, is, this is the two-part, even though it's addressed to the, to the believers in Rome, we can, we can um, look at that and believe that as being addressed to us because it's addressed to addressed to believers. So there's two attributes that are true of all believers. <clears throat> from, from the interlinear, it says, being loved ones of God, beloved, that word was, and there's a song, beloved, love one another, from First John. So that's that loved one, loved ones of God, beloved. And again, it has this neat Greek word, ami. It's a state in which we exist, a continual state. It's a position we have. We exist as Beloved of God. And it, I thought of Winnie yesterday when I, I've been studying this and I thought, wow, she's a beloved. She's, she was a beloved. You guys are all beloved. You're all beloved. Whether you feel like a beloved or not. I don't feel like a beloved. I feel like I'm, you know, I got problems and, you know, you're still a beloved. You're still loved by God. And actually that's, that's a little bit in contrast. And I'm, I'll show you a little, I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, but it's such a key point. We see that, like the unbeliever and believer picture, God loves all mankind. And that word agape talks about the fact that's a verb. He had, he's taking action. God took action to love the whole world. His son died on the cross. But this talks about, this is an adjective. It describes the relationship between us and our Savior. So I've, ju- I've jumped ahead a little bit. <clears throat> and then secondly, we're called ones to be saints. So I've just, I've gone through this first part here. <laughs> I apologize. So, being loved of God, agapeo, is an adjective. It describes this wonderful, tender relationship that we have with our Savior. So here's some, here's some additional points I didn't make. Or maybe I made them. We'll see. This is how the Father refers to His Son. The Father refers to His Son as being a loved one. And the same tender word refers to us as believers. I mean, this is, you know, this is, like I said, we're reading our resume. We're peeking into the resume that God holds you know, in his word, for us. This is a resume that talks about us. We can rejoice and rest in this intimate love for us. Only his children are his beloved. 
And I got a little bit ahead. And unbelievers are loved by God because he took action. God wasn't inactive. He was active. He, his son died on the cross. So that the same Greek word, agape, is used in two ways. as a verb and as an adjective. Nothing can separate us from the love of his love. We're beloved. We always will be beloved. Okay, now we get to the two part. Well, actually, the last part of the two part. <clears throat> Called as saints. Calling is a calling on an appointment. We've already saw one aspect of calling. We're, we're elected or called. Now he's going to tell us that we're called to be saints. Hagios. One who is set apart. And what's neat is, in the New Testament, in the plural, it's always in the plural when it talks about believers. <clears throat> it's talking about believers. It's a designation for a believer. So your designation is a saint. And it's not because you have an exceptional holiness. You're not exceptionally holy. It's because this is another one of those wonderful attributes of who we are in Christ. So more uncalled saints. Every believer is a called or appointed by God as a saint. Every believer is set apart to God and by God. Sainthood is not an attainment. We don't attain to be a saint. And the world shows that. They, have, they make people saints. Well, that's not the picture at all. We are saints. Sainthood is a position into which God calls every believer. And here's the point. And we saw it in Corinthians. We spent two years in Corinthians. And we saw this man who, who was a saint. But he was in sin. And believers, uh, saints can be in sin. God doesn't desire them to be there. <clears throat> but they can be. Okay. So let's go on. Now, the, the last part of seven, here's, finally he gets to the greeting. I think as uh, was pointed out, this is a pretty typical greeting that Paul, Paul makes. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. But there's some cool things about this. This is a greeting to the church. Grace and peace is to the church at Rome and to all the believers. The only source of grace and peace is from uh, God the Father and His Son, we see that in several places. Grace and peace is constantly supplied to you as a believer. God desires that we walk in grace and peace. God abundantly supplies His grace and peace for His glory. And then lastly, God's abundant peace guards our hearts and our minds. A very familiar passage in, in Philippians 4, 7. Okay. So, summary thoughts. I, Constable had a really good summary here, I thought. So, what, what Constable says here <clears throat> is that you look at the salutation, the first seven verses of, of, of uh, Romans chapter 1, and it kind of has the germ ideas of what's going to be developed later. All these wonderful truths about the believer in the Lord Jesus. Uh, and, and we see it in other epistles as well, but not this one. is just like on steroids. I mean, it's just amazing. So, Paul so far... He's, he shows the message of the gospel that was in harmony with the Old Testament. We saw that. It was about the risen Christ. It was for all the people, the ethnos, for the entire world. And then lastly, that it should lead us to this obedience of faith, a listening under, exercising faith in him, a listening under God's word. All right, so let's close in prayer. We thank you, Father. We thank you for your many blessings. We thank you so much for the the book of Romans, as we start into in these, these messages, we pray that as we go through this, that we would see more and more of, of who you are, what our Savior has done, and we would see our relationship to that and who we are as we 
as we live the life um, through Christ. And we, and we thank you for that. We ask in his name. Amen.